John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came into a town in Samaria called Sichar, near a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate it with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and all his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they know the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Then the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, as Pastor Randy comes forward, bless this message to touch our hearts. We know you've prepared these words and set them on his heart, and we want to open our eyes and ears and, and hearts to hear from you today. 
Amen. Well, it has been a crazy couple of years, as I was just kind of referencing the other day. And uh, as you begin to look at the top Google searches, it kind of begins to tell you what's on people's minds. Some of the very top Google searches, as you probably could imagine or even predict, are things like anxiety, loneliness, isolation, things like that. But if you go even a little deeper, it shows us exactly what we've been talking about for these last couple of weeks and what I'm talking about today, what Eric just read about from John chapter 4. And it is here on this screen. You can see uh, the, the Google searches that are up there and, you know, kind of very popular. One of them in the top group is what does God say about? And it's very interesting how... In so many ways, we want to say that our culture is no longer interested in spiritual things or that spiritual things are on the decline. But the truth of the matter is, is that people still care about what God says because they know, as the slide just played in the little mini movie that was kind of our intro, we know that there's something inside of us that's telling us there's more and that we need more than this world can provide. And so because of that, even those who might be far from God know that there's something still yet to be gained by drawing close to him because they've found their lives as successful as they look, seem, or appear, or smell, or any of that stuff. They've realized and recognized that ultimately it is not full, it is empty, unless we have the one who has created us and developed us and designed us in his image. And so we need him or else we're going to find ourselves to be empty. So what does God say about these things? Well, it's interesting because if you begin to kind of look at these things, minus the tattoos, <laughs> um, some of the, th yeah, exactly. All right. Y'all see that. Uh, I, I just pulled this straight off my computer. This is a screenshot. And yes, I'm an old dude, but I do know how to do a screenshot. All right. Let's go to our next slide here. This is just some things to fill up on. And these are the things that we talk about each week over the last couple of weeks. We talked about how people are filling up on the billfold or the bedroom or the ball field. This is especially true with our men, how they think to themselves, you know, if I'm succeeding and dominating in the billfold department, then I'm good. I'm a real man. Or if I'm dominating in the bedroom department, you know, got as many women as I want and all that. Or on the ball field, I'm good at sports. I'm, I'm looking good. I'm in good shape. All of these things are things that we fill ourselves up on and it goes on and on and on and on. And it's funny because uh, down here at the bottom, you see escapes, distractions, and diversions. And I didn't really put it on there and kind of lay it out, but I mean, I'm not going to even ask you to kind of respond, you know, with a hand raise as I usually do and talk with you. And this is a conversation, but you guys have seen people like this woman at the well, where she's looking for someone to fill the hole that is empty on the inside, but every someone leaves her empty so she figures that the problem is that she needs to find the right someone, not this someone. And so off things go, the recycle begins once again, and they find themselves in the same problem with the same issues and the same starting point over and over and over and over again in their life, never realizing that the someone can only be filled by one, and that is our God. And so because of that, these recycling of five husbands that was mentioned by this woman at the well and Jesus speaking to her, he's telling her the way out is not to change the someone, but it is to change the someone to the one. 
that you were looking for. That is the cure for emptiness. So as we look at that and as we begin, I, I don't know if you guys are watching The Chosen. How many of you guys in here are watching The Chosen with us? Are y'all, are y'all doing that? Oh my goodness. I committed, I committed um, uh, binge watching adultery on my wife. She's out of town with my kids and I went in without her and I watched an episode without her. I'm, I don't know, should I just pretend it never happened, right? Or do I admit it? I, I, okay, just pretend. It was like, this is good. This is good. Brand new stuff. Uh, yeah, so anyway, y'all, y'all are all sworn to secrecy. What happens at EHC stays at EHC, right? It's like Vegas, right? Okay, so here's what we know. The woman at the well in The Chosen, this is a picture of her. What a beautiful portrayal. If you've not seen it, it's in the episode called I Am He. It is the eighth and final episode of season number one. And I personally am actually supposed to be watching season uh, number one, episode four. I'm trying not to get too far ahead. Um, but I couldn't preach this message about this woman, and the order is all different in the way that I'm preaching, but I couldn't preach this message without seeing this, and I got to tell you, it is a beautiful episode. Definitely check it out, and if you, if you decide that you're not following through, I don't know why you would, but if that is true, don't miss this one. Episode 8 is really amazing. So let's keep going here, and I want to talk about the story of the woman at the well, and here's something that you may know or you may not know, but if not, learn this along with me. There were huge racial divides between the Jews, people that considered themselves to be pure bloods, and the Samaritans, people that the Jews considered traitors to both their race and their religion. They were, tra- they were traitors twice over. That's not easy to say. Let me say that one more time to make sure you heard me. They were traitors twice over by betraying the God and their race. They married with their conquerors in the Assyrian assimilation. And so they became very unpopular among the Jews. And we're going to talk more about that. But when the woman at the well, that's what the W-A-W, you guys with me? I, I had to like shrink it down, all right? But when the woman at the well said her peace in verse 9, it was a big understatement. And yes, I did double check. Peace is your little piece of the pie, not you saying your peace and then holding your peace. So just FYI, I got that right. You're learning all kinds of things today, right? How many of y'all knew that already? How many of y'all did not know that already? How many of you are asleep? No, okay. So anyway, Right. The woman at the well said her piece in verse 9. It was a big understatement. Here's what she said in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, that's to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Or in, in the little note there in the NIV, there's another way of saying it. They do not use dishes that Samaritans use. In other words, y'all know There are little colloquialisms. Um, That's your way of saying something that's not literal, but it means something. You're looking for a needle in a haystack, right? Okay, so when you're looking for a needle in a haystack, it has nothing to do with needles nor haystacks. It means something is hard to find. When she speaks to Jesus here, she's like, you're not even going to use the dishes that I use because you think that you are better than me. And you think that you are clean and hanging out with somebody debased and bad and Samaritan like me makes you unclean in everybody's sight that you love. So why are you pretending that you want to drink for me? What is actually happening here? And so this is a big understatement when she says this. 
But if you've watched the episode or if you go back and read the way that Jesus responds to her is not to crack back at her and say, how dare you? No, no, he responds in love and he realizes that he's kind of interacting with a woman who's wounded in a way that can't be seen, but it runs deep. Some of you here today are wounded in ways that run deep, but maybe can't be seen. And maybe you've never even gone to the place where you convey or confess that you are wounded. But I'm here to tell you that the one who loves you and died for you not only knows about the wounds, but wants to redeem those wounds and wants to bring you into a relationship with him that's different than anything that you've ever had. And if you can gain that relationship, if you can begin to centralize that relationship as a part of your life, everything that was once wounded begins to be healed. It's not an overnight process, but it sure begins to change. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of y'all could just testify real quick with an amen that you've been healed from some of your past and the Lord has brought healing into your life. Amen. Is there anyone here? Amen. And so here's what we know. We know that just as she was saying, you don't even want to drink out of the same glass as I'm drinking out of. How dare you ask me for a drink? There were things going on in this woman's life that were making her give Jesus the stiff arm, and yet he was the one who could actually bring healing into her life like no one else. She'd already tried the other things, and here she was talking to the very man who could bring her out of that emptiness and bring her into fullness of life, and what is she doing? She's keeping him at arm's length because she's already been hurt too many times and she's lost hope. You guys know somebody like that? And maybe one of you, two, 20 of us have been that person at one time in our life, right? The truth of the matter is, is that for us, we are empty. And the only place to find fullness is not in more. It seems like that's what we normally turn to. Well, I got money, but I think I'd really be happy if I just had a little more. I've got renowned, but it, you know, if I were really, really renowned, really, really famous, really, really respected, then I think I'd be good. You know, on and on and on. The answer for us has always been more, not different. I'm here to tell you that when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he's declaring to her, you're drinking water. I'm talking living water. You're talking about coming back here tomorrow. I'm talking about something that never fades. You're talking about emptiness and I'm talking about fullness. I'm talking about something different, not just simply more of the same old thing. So I want to just say before I go any further, if you have fallen into the trap of believing that the answer is to be found in more of the same, I'm here to tell you that you can come back in a year, we'll have the same conversation, and you'll still tell me it's still empty and it's only a year later. That's the only thing that's changed. So be very careful that you don't grasp the power of this message, the points that Jesus makes to this woman that can change her life if she will allow it. And spoiler alert, she does, right? Okay, so let's keep moving here. Let's go to our next slide. And by the way, I wanted to show you guys, and, and I, I just want to, you see what I'm saying? You, you see, you all see what I did there? Look real close to what that arrow is pointing Nain, our guy that leads us in worship, named for this town that I was like trying to do. And I was like, look at that. There's Nain. Nain's trying to insert himself in the sermon. This is awesome, right? And then I thought, wow, that's really cool. And then there's Nazareth right next to it. And, and then I go to this next slide here. 
And there's Zareth, Zareth and Nain. You guys are in the sermon today. Perfect example and perfect opportunity for me to just say, can we give these people a hand? Thank you so much for the things that you guys do every week. God bless y'all. Y'all are always a blessing to us. Nobody wants to hear me sing. Nobody wants to hear me play the uh, piano or the guitar as often as I've asked them. Uh, Just never seems to get uh, taken up on it. So thank you guys. All right. Here is another something to learn, and then I'll get to the actual map, okay? He had to go through Samaria in chapter 4, verse 4, was certainly not what polite polite and proper Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day preferred to practice or preached to their followers. They often literally went off of a straight path just to avoid going through Samaria. They didn't want to defile themselves if they could prevent it easily. And so here's what they would do. I got a little, the other one was just a little too busy for you guys to grasp it. So I showed them, I wanted to show you this, but then the names wouldn't have been on there, right? So, and you can see here, path one, they would go out of Jerusalem and pass through an area that was not Samaritan, was still Jewish, and then they'd come back around to the top of Nazareth and other these other, you know, northern areas. But the area where Samaria was was actually the straighter shot. If you guys understand that, can y'all give me a thumbs up? Y'all with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. So path two was shorter by miles, meaning up to a day or more could be saved by taking that path straight through. But Time, strength, everything poured out just to avoid being around somebody who they thought was beneath them. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 I have to go through Samaria. I've got to go. I've got to be with them. And so here's what I want to do. Let's go to our next slide here very quickly. And this is the something to learn bonus edition. There are huge gender divides between men and women, especially Samaritan women. She's kind of like that person that you would distance yourself from, but also she's a woman. And ladies, I'm not saying that this is the right thing. I'm saying this is the way that it was. Can we still be friends, ladies? Can we still be friends? Okay, so here's the truth. And can I just, can I keep it really real? I'm going to keep it real, 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 real. I wonder if this woman who has always been objectified by almost every single man that's crossed through her life isn't wondering if Jesus is doing the same thing to her. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that, and I'm not trying to read something in that's not there, but can I explain where I'm coming from? I almost think to myself that the Samaritan woman is looking at Jesus and going, oh, since it's just me and you here at the well... Now it's okay to talk to somebody who's beneath you, like me. Somebody who you wouldn't turn and look at in polite society, but maybe I caught your eye. I mean, clearly the woman has had five husbands, five men in her life. She's not an ugly woman, right? She's had men in and out of her life. But maybe what's going on here is she's looking at Jesus and going, another one and I know what he wants. Do y'all see that, or is it just me? Don't tell me it's just me, because I'm going to be awkward for the whole rest of the sermon. If y'all want a good rest of the sermon, just tell me it's not just me. How can you ask me for a drink unless this means something else, or is this your way? And by the way, men have been offering to buy women drinks for years for other reasons than their thirst. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, (laughs) oh, sorry. All right, anyway, let's go on. 
here's what I think is going on. This woman has every reason to keep Jesus at arm's length. And Jesus is just like, you don't even get it. I'm not here to get something from you. I'm here to give something to you. And if you haven't figured out that God is here to change your life for the better rather than chain your life down, you've missed something big. But don't miss this. Your choices bring you change or they bring you chains. You have to make the right choices. You call on Jesus to bring healing and redemption to the wrong choices that you have made. I want to talk about that. I want to go a little deeper because we can't talk about the woman at the well and just pretend that she didn't have a past that she was enslaved by. And I know that we can all judge the woman at the well, but we can all also identify with the woman at the well. We all have chains in our past that we were once enslaved by. And that's maybe true of you still. But if that is true of you still, I have good news. Just as Jesus came to set this woman free, even when she didn't realize it, maybe you didn't realize it, but today, as you come here, I'm sharing with you the opportunity to walk away a different person, and not because of any single word I say, but the power of God that can change everything in your life, bring healing to what is hurt, harmed, and been terrible in your life. And I just want to encourage you, don't miss it. So here is the big idea today that I want to share with you. Let's go to our next slide. You must address the actions that you engage in caused by your emptiness. You must address the actions you engage in that are caused by your emptiness. Now, I brought something. I can't preach out of this passage without wanting water. I'm not going to lie. And doesn't this look good? Can y'all see the little beads of uh, condensation? And can y'all see that it's getting foggy? And y'all know how nice this is going to be, right? All of y'all are going to be like, can you just wait a minute? I'm going to go get me something. No, y'all stay right there. This is my illustration. You need to be thirsty for this. Any of y'all thirsty right now? Any of y'all? I know I am. I literally feel like I haven't drunk anything, although I've had 12 cups of coffee. I know you can't tell. Oh, I got to have some of this. All right, hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Oh, so good. Did I say it was good? Um, here's, I want to make it better, though. I want to make it better. Let me just get a little bit more. And I want to make it better. Y'all don't like this? Do you see what I did? Like, the world is selling this. The Lord is giving this. Drinking this means more thirst. Did you know that there are literally people who die on oceans of dehydration surrounded by water? Why? Because two things. What their situation is made them drink the water. And when you drink salt water, what does it do? It dehydrates you. Or they were smart enough to know, I can't drink that. But they died surrounded by water because it wasn't the right kind of water. 
You guys understand? All right. If y'all are really good and nice to me and say lots of good amens, I might even drink that for you at the end, throwing back to my youth pastor days. Here's what I know. I'm going to put this here, and you can remember. Here is the truth. Jesus knows whenever he looks at us and sees us as human beings that are flawed, he knows that the thirst for different and the thirst for more is something that we tend to figure out in our lives, but we never figure out why we keep doing the things that are coming from that. In other words, when you've walked in a desert, you're ready for this. And when your soul is spiritually dry and your soul is empty, you're looking around for something to fill it. It doesn't make you horrible. It makes you human. Can I get an amen? But here is what we have to grasp and recognize. That Jesus that meets this woman at the well doesn't say, you know what? It's been rough for you. And so I'm just going to give you a pass, pat you on the head and say, it's all good. Keep going. He says, no, 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 no. These things that keep acting like salt water to your soul, I want to pull those out of the darkness. I want to bring them into the light. I want to heal them. And I want to heal you in the process. Now, I know that all of us know that there are diseases in our lives physically that we can never be whole or healthy until we get rid of those diseases. You guys with me? In our spiritual life, there is disease that we cannot allow to stay. And God is the one who is the great physician Not just the great physician of the body, but the greatest physician of the soul. When you are empty, he wants to change that. But that means you and I walking away from some things and even walking through some things that might hurt, but ultimately bring us to a place of healing. You must address the actions that you engage in that are caused by your emptiness. Would you guys say that with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. You must address the actions you engage in caused by your emptiness. All right, let's keep going. I don't want to wait too long and stay too long here, but this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He answers, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. (laughs) You're seeking the wrong thing. You're seeking physical, not spiritual. But I give them something that is going to help them to never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman admits, Sir, I want that. Physically, yes. But maybe there's a little bit of an inkling of the spiritual. And here is what Jesus does. Now, I'm going to um, just, uh, actually, I'm going to ask Ms. Donna to come right up here real quick. Just, this was unplanned, but I want to ask something. Okay, so first of all, let's do a little arm comparison here. Um, all right, you need to go sit down. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I knew this woman would, worry about, would not worry about her arms. Okay, just stay right there for a moment. And I want you guys to just visualize that she has a, a sore or a somewhere that she's maybe cut herself right here. 
The last thing that she wants me to do is this. She doesn't want me to touch this spot. But do you see that's what Jesus does right here? He pokes her right where it hurts. He says, just go call your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, yeah, you actually have had five. And he's poking her in that very spot that she doesn't want to talk about. She doesn't want to think about. She doesn't want to bring into the light. But here's what you have to trust. That just as a doctor comes and says, what's going on here? Let's, let's look at this. I have to clean this wound for it to heal correctly. Doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, but it means that it's needed and necessary. Are you guys with me? You'll you'll see what I'm saying? So what we're seeing in the big idea here is the things that have caused you to be injured and hurt in this way, initially it's going to feel like I'm picking on you and picking at you But what's going to happen is healing will come. But you have to let me do the work. So when Jesus says, go call your husband, she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right when you said you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman says, I can see you're a prophet. Everything shifts, and she begins to grasp that Jesus is not here to hurt her. He's here to heal her, but it hurts just the same. You guys with me? You all understand what I'm saying? Okay, so thank you. Thank you so much. May God bless you, and uh, work on those arms a little bit for the next time. Yes, you know that's a joke. I would just simply say, That the healing hurts in that moment. It hurts in the moment, but it is necessary. So let's talk about the PowerPoints that we can come away with from this interaction between the two. Let's go to our next slide. The PowerPoints from the woman at the well, and I'm I'm hitting the gas. We're going to move a little quicker. Emptiness in your life usually is revealed in your relationships. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about what? Noon. The woman was coming in the middle of the day because she didn't want to face the relationships that reminded her of what she did not have and what she was living. In your relationships, that's usually the point of friction. Normally, the things that you are wanting to have healed are things that will be revealed through your relationships. That is why it is so important that we not stay in isolation because the truth of the matter is is that it's very, very easy to be diseased, diseased, diseased in isolation. But the moment that we come out, we begin to find health and healing in that relationship that we need. It's going to reveal it, but it will also help heal it. So let's go to our next slide here very quickly, and don't miss this. Shame is the tool that Satan uses to keep us away from the only one who can free us from our guilt and our shame. Shame is the tool that Satan uses to keep us away from the only one who frees us from our guilt and shame. Let's keep moving here. Proverbs chapter 28 says it in the most simple way. 
Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces those sins finds mercy. And I won't go too far and too deep, but just let me tell you, guilt, as much as we want to say it's a terrible thing, it is actually usually the thing that brings repentance in our life. It is the thing that makes us walk away from the things that we should not do. Shame and guilt are very different, though. Shame keeps us in that spot. Guilt moves us away. And I can't go too much further but there's, because there's so much to say. But what's happened for this woman at the well is she's living in shame. And initially, Jesus talks to her and she feels guilty, but she's this close to a breakthrough. Can I say something? Every time that you feel guilt, you're probably about this close to a breakthrough, but you've got to turn the right way. And that leads us to our next point very quickly. And this is our next point. Emptiness is rarely correctly addressed on your own. In other words, what you will do most of the time is turn around and loop right back and do it again. You guys understand? Because you'll hit that point and it hurts. And so you know you got to move. And so when you move, you'll go right back to what you know. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She just says, uh... Religion, religion, let's talk about religion then. If that's what you're going for, let's just talk about religion. Jesus is like, "Mm -mm -mm -mm." not religion, relationship. Not religion, not a bunch of rules. We're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a change of heart from top to bottom, in to out. It's everything changing. It's not religion. And I want to notice that the woman is doing the best that she can. She's doing the best that she can and the best that she knows. And the only words that she's got to surround a conversation like this involve religion. And I'm here to tell you that ultimately it is not about religion. It is about a relationship with the God who made you. It is knowing that he has forgiven you, that you have walked away from your sins and towards the God who loves you. Not just simply somebody who goes to church occasionally when you felt guilty that it's been too long, right? It's a different thing altogether. And I've got, I could go on and on, I will not, but let's keep moving here. The significant problems we have cannot be solved at the same level of thinking with which we created them. That is why it is so important for you and I to be in relationship with people that will help us to understand ourselves more and understand and see ourselves from a different way and a different viewpoint. That's how we actually begin to walk away and gain victory in our lives. And healing starts happening, not in isolation, but in community. First with the one who made us and is the cure for empty. And then with the others that have been called by his name who encourage you to keep going and not fall short and fail to remember that empty is not cured by more. It's cured by different. Amen. You guys with me? All right, let's keep moving here. And the third PowerPoint from the woman at the well, change begins as discipline, moves to desire, and ultimately becomes delight. Now, I didn't intend to say this, but y'all saw Donna's arms just a minute ago. How many of y'all know that you don't get arms like that on accident? Do y'all know that? (laughs) Donna's like, oh, I promise you, you do not. So what has happened? I bet it probably began as discipline and became desire and now has become delight. I heard this and I was like, mind blown. So true. How many of you have ever had something in your life that began as discipline, 
grew into delight and grew into desire and then eventually became a delight. Have y'all ever had that? I've got a marriage that's 30 something years old and I'm probably more delighted in that marriage than I've ever been. And she's not even here today to hear this. Y'all make sure and tell her that I said this. Would y'all please? Like when I'm trying to score my brownie points, I want to make sure I'm getting all the brownies and y'all can see I'm down with all the brownies, right? So here's what Hebrews chapter 12 says. No discipline seems pleasant, but it's painful initially. But later it becomes a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In other words, in your spiritual life, it will probably begin as discipline, grow to desire, and ultimately become delight. Do y'all have a guess as to where things truly become revolutionary for you in your spiritual life? What level? Discipline, desire, or delight. (laughs) Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As Psalm says, it's there that the true change happens. Amen. I love this passage so much, I could go on and on and on. I will not. Let's keep moving. Let's go to our next slide. And here's the big question. What consistent practice in your life is an investment in your spiritual life? It might begin as a discipline, but it needs to move from discipline to desire and eventually to delight. And what can you begin today? It is so important that you begin it today. So I have a very long quote and I want you guys to hear it. And it's slide number 27, 28, 29. I want to begin here. Speaking of the woman at the well, a Bible teacher said these words. The Samaritan woman grasped what he said with fervor that came from an awareness of her real need. And the transaction was fascinating. She came with a bucket. He sent her back with living water. She came as a reject. He sent her back being accepted by God himself. She came wounded. He sent her back whole. She came laden with questions. He sent her back as a source of answers. She came living a life of quiet desperation. And she ran back to her town overflowing with hope. And the disciples missed it all because it was lunchtime. Can I tell you, we run a risk in our world of not seeing the needs around us because we've become too accustomed to them. We've heard the language of emptiness so long that we sometimes don't even grasp that it's happening in people. And you go, no, they look like they got it together. They seem happy. The truth of the matter is is that you and I, if we really listen, we can hear the language of emptiness all around us. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not really turned out like I expected. Life right now is just not as I hoped. All of these are the words of emptiness manifesting themselves. And if you and I as God's children clue in, we can actually be that source of answers that brings change and healing to some desperate situations. But we got to get serious about it. And we got to be very concerned about it. And then we've got to realize that the things that sometimes occupy our time are things we will always have and yet certain opportunities are only there for short moments the disciples missed it all but they went away with a full belly if you haven't figured out that being an agent of healing grace 
in your coworker's life is worth skipping lunch for, I encourage you to re-examine your priorities as a Christian. Because we have an answer that people are seeking for in their emptiness. But for many of us, man, it's lunchtime. What's next? I got work to do. I can't be distracted. Now, I'm not here to poke and poke and poke at you and me. But let's be honest, man. Sometimes we lose perspective and we miss out on blessings. And be careful that you don't. The needs are truly all around us. I'm going to go to our, uh, our, our final slide. Uh, let's go to the I apply by real quick, if you don't mind. Can we do that? I encourage you to make a change today and make yourself accountable. Whether it's any of these things that you need to begin with your change, or make yourself accountable to someone and say, this is the change that I want to make. I encourage you, don't fall into the position and the trap of it being so close to you that you forget how powerful it can be. Don't let the fullness of God be something that you miss because the emptiness is not what you want. Let's go to our video here real quickly. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me for. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be, you tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own.